I love that song, Even So Come. That phrase, Even So Come, is uh, from an old hymn, and there's a verse in that hymn that talks about the return of Jesus, and it talks about the sky being rolled back like a scroll and a trumpet sounding, and the Lord descending. And the chorus then goes, even so, come. And what it means is, Lord, even though your coming will be a dramatic and frightening even event, when you come in all your power and majesty and glory, even so, even though it's going to be like that, come, Lord Jesus. Because as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we know that we're in right relationship with this God. And so even though he comes in terrible power, there's also a love and a relationship that we have that we look forward to experiencing in greater measure when Jesus comes back. So it's a beautiful words and they describe that tension of our relationship with God and that's going to become very evident through the passage that we're going to take a look at today. We're in Exodus chapter 33 continuing a series called Join the Story in the book of Exodus and so I want to encourage you to open up your Bibles there to Exodus 33. I encourage you always to bring a Bible to church an act of obedience and learning before the Lord, so do that and uh, show you a couple pictures about mountaintops. This is, in this story, really the ultimate mountaintop experience. And if you Google mountaintop pictures, uh, one of them is going to come up. There are always these kind of pictures where people are in these spectacular places and you don't really think about how hard it is to get there. You just think about like, wow, that's really cool. Uh, if you've ever actually stood on a mountaintop, it is a really cool experience. I've got a, a picture of Connie and myself uh, at San Joaquinto Peak up in uh, Palm Springs, which is a 10,000-foot mountain, and uh, we're sitting at the top there, and it looks great. We're smiling, you know, because you can't really take a picture of headaches and nausea at 10,000 feet, right? It's just like, yeah, woo, it was awesome. <laughs> and now we've got to stagger all the way back down again. Where's the helicopter? Uh, but it was really fun, and uh, it's cold up there, even though it's hot in Palm Springs in the valley. That, uh, that peak is chilly. Uh, the next picture is a picture of Mount Sinai, or at least this is what has been traditionally identified out there in the desert as the mountain of God, Mount Sinai, and if it's not that mountain, it looks like that. Right? It's just a dry piece of rock, which makes sense, right? That's what stuff looks like there. And it's on top of this mountain that Moses is going to have the mountaintop of all mountaintop experiences, right? Have you ever had a mountaintop experience, just an amazing experience in your life? Often it's of a spiritual nature, right? You're maybe on a retreat or out in nature of some kind, and you just feel close to God, and you're just excited, and uh, usually that's followed with a trip back down the mountain, and things kind of go down after that mountaintop, which makes sense, right? This is the mountaintop experience. It's actually the primary revelation of God in the Old Testament. There is no more important, more central story where God describes who He is and what He's like than this description in Exodus 33. It's quoted over a dozen times in the rest of the Old Testament, in numerous psalms, it's quoted a number of times in the New Testament, different characteristics of God, the exact same words from this particular revelation of God to Moses on top of Mount Sinai. The context of the story before we read it is the context of the golden calf. That's what we were talking about last week. The nation of Israel had fallen into idolatry and God was ready to wipe them out. Moses intercedes on their behalf, so instead God punishes the nation but doesn't wipe the nation out. But the relationship is broken, and it's uncertain what's going to happen. And God's communicating to Moses, Moses, I'm done with these people. I'm just going to take you, and I'm going to take you to the promised land, 
And we're going to start a new people who aren't going to be like this rebellious people of Israel. And Moses is like, no, Lord, you have to take your people with us. I'm not going to go by myself. And God's communicating, Moses, I'm going to send you with an angel. An angel's going to take you to the promised land. Moses is like, no, God, you have to go with us. You promised that you'd be present. And so the context of Moses experiencing God revealing himself in this way is Moses' urgent need to know that God is going to be with him. And that's a need that really brings it down to a very personal level, right? We're going to read this story, and it's, you know, it's easy to sort of dream like, well, that'd be awesome if I saw God like that. Of course, you know, I'd have huge faith. And when is that ever going to happen to me? And forget that, you know, it was a very simple situation, really, that's identifiable for all of us. That is, Moses needed to know, God, are you with us? Are you with me? And that's a question that we can ask all the time, right? God, are you with me? Are you with us? So God wants to speak to all of us through this story. I want to read to you from Exodus, uh, starting in chapter 33, verse 12. And uh, I turned 50 this year, so I'm going to unabashedly wear glasses, even though I have a large print Bible. And I'm going to read from Exodus chapter 33, verse 12. It says, One day Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, Take these people up to the promised land, but you haven't told me whom you will send with me. You have told me, I know you by name, and I look favorably on you. If it's true that you look favorably on me, let me know your ways so I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. And remember that this nation is your very own people. The Lord replied, I will go personally with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. Then Moses said, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me? on me and on your people, if you don't go with us. For your presence among us sets your people apart and me apart from all other people on the earth. Isn't that a promise that's true for the church today, huh? God's presence among us is what sets us apart. The Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked, for I look favorably on you, and I know you by name. Moses responded, then show me your glorious presence. The Lord replied, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will call out my name, Yahweh, before you. For I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. But you may not look directly at my face, for no one may see me and live. The Lord continued, look, stand near me on this rock. As my glorious presence passes by, I will hide you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and let you see me from behind, but my face will not be seen. Then the Lord told Moses, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones with the Ten Commandments. I will write on them the same words that were on the tablets you smashed. Be ready in the morning to climb up Mount Sinai and present yourself to me on top of the mountain. No one else may come with you. In fact, no one is to appear anywhere on the mountain. Do not even let the flocks or herds graze near the mountain. So Moses chiseled out two tablets of stone like the first ones, and early in the morning he climbed Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him, and he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him. And he called out his name, 
Yahweh. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy, I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations. Moses immediately threw himself to the ground and worshipped, and then he said, Oh, Lord, if it's true that I have found favor with you, then please travel with us. Yes, this is a stubborn and rebellious people, but please forgive our iniquity and our sins. Claim us as your own special possession. What an amazing story. A couple of things I want to draw uh, out of this, really just quite briefly. The first is that God reveals Himself to people who are seeking after Him. You don't want to miss the fact that the reason why this happens is because Moses has this urgent request, Lord, I need to know that You're going to go with us to the promised land. I don't want to leave unless You're coming. And then it's in the context of that desire to know God more, right? He's asking, Lord, show me Your ways. And then he asks, God, show me Your glorious presence. And in response to that, God does show him something. He doesn't show Moses exactly what Moses asked for, but Moses has a powerful experience with God. And we see that happening throughout the Scriptures. That's a pattern. God reveals Himself to people who are reaching out to Him, right? There's nothing that we can do to sort of produce an experience with God. All we can do is have a hungry heart. It says, Lord, I want to know You, right? Jesus says in the famous words, right, seek and you shall fill in the blank. What does he say? Seek and you shall find, right? Knock and the door will be opened. Yeah, ask and you will see, right? And the idea there is very broad in Jesus. is like if you're reaching out, Jesus says, you will receive. And Jesus' whole life was like that, right? When people called out to him, Jesus always stopped, right? He never walked by, just like talk to you later. It's always immediately he was there for people who were calling out to Him. And so that's who God is, and that's great for us to remind, right? Are we hungry for God's presence? Are we hungry for God to speak, uh, for Him to pass by us, to show Himself? Is that something that we ask the Lord? If we do, the Lord will honor that. Second, God reveals Himself by naming His character in His actions. He reveals Himself to Moses by naming His character and His actions. There's a real inherent tension in this story, right? Because Moses asks, Lord, show me your glorious presence. Uh, you know, he swings for the fences, right? I mean, God, I want to see the big show of who you really are. I've seen a burning bush. I know you're not a burning bush. I want to see your glorious presence. God doesn't say no, but he doesn't say, I'm going to let my glorious presence pass by you, does he? He says, I'm going to show you my goodness. And you think, like, how do you see goodness, <laughs> right? As someone's passing by, is his, like, goodness plastered on his chest? No, no. You don't see goodness. You experience goodness, right? And yet with God, he says, you're going to see my goodness as I pass by. And then as he describes it, you're like, well, it doesn't sound like Moses is going to see anything except God's backside. You know, God's going to pass by, but his hand's going to be blocking the whole time, right? The original stiff arm. As he goes by, you're not really going to see anything. You're going to see me from behind. 
But what God does is He speaks, right? As He's passing by and you can't see Him, He starts talking. And His words are His goodness, right? He's saying who He is. Moses, you don't need to see me. In fact, you can't, right? He says, nobody sees my face and lives. It's literally, if you see me, I'm going to have to kill you, right? Why is that? Because God's holy. And His glorious presence would destroy Moses and would destroy all the people. That's why God comes in the form of, a, you know, a cloud and storm on the mountain or as a burning bush, showing a little bit of His character, but it's a tiny glimpse because if He comes in His glorious power, He wipes everybody out because there's so much sin, right? And He's a holy God. So there's this tension in that, and there's a tension in what He describes about Himself too, right? First, we see that God is good. He says, I'm going to let my goodness pass by you. And for all these characteristics, it's really important that you realize God defines what these things are. So when we say something's good or God is good, He's the definition of good, right? When He says the word good, He redefines it. Moses, whatever you see about me, that's the definition of goodness. I'm going to let that pass by you. Clearly, He's also holy, right? That's the issue. You can't see my face. I'm going to have to block my glorious presence with my hand because you can't look on my holiness, Moses. There's too much unholiness in you and in any person to really see me. So we know that about God. Then he says, I'm compassionate and merciful, right? Those great words. Right? God's a God of compassion and mercy. He cares about people. We say God's heart breaks for people. We say that because God describes himself as compassionate. That's what a compassionate person does. They really care about others. God says, that's me. I'm the definition of compassion. He talks about the fact that he's slow to anger. God gets angry, gets sin, but it's slow. It doesn't come quick. What God's saying is, I never fly off the handle. That does not happen with me. When I get angry, it's because of sin and injustice, and I make it right. But I'm slow to anger. In contrast, right, he's, he's rich, and it sounds like he's fast to love and faithfulness. I'm quick to love and have compassion on people, and I'm faithful to keep my promises. What I say I will do, I do. He's saying all these things to Moses as he's passing by. And he says he lavishes that, right, that love on a thousand generations. Think about that, right? That's a long time, right? That's as long as you can, <laughs> as you can think of a thousand generations. That's how much God lavishes his love on people. But then he immediately qualifies and says, but that doesn't mean that I left the guilty go unpunished. He says, just because I'm filled with compassion and love, that doesn't mean that people can just do whatever they want and I don't care because I'm also a holy God. So I make things right. I punish the guilty. If there's not repentance for sin, then sin has to be atoned for. I know what he's saying about the generations there, he's like, each generation needs to pay for its sin. It's not like, well, one generation pays, and then everybody else gets a free pass, right? It's not like the grandkid can say, well, you know, grandpa was just an idolater, so, you know, we're idolaters. It's not my fault, it's their fault. No, no, every generation is going to have to pay for the guilt of its sin. And you have to think about it, if Moses is, you know, stuffed in this rock, right? There's a big hand covering his face, he's listening. He's got to be thinking, what? God, I don't get it. How can you be loving and compassionate and gracious, but you punish the guilty? 
We're all guilty, so we're all going to get punished. So how are we going to get, you know, oh, it just doesn't make any sense. And God doesn't resolve it as He passes by. He tells Moses an unresolved story about Himself. This is who I am. And there's these two things in great tension, my compassion and yet my holiness and my justice. How is that going to be sorted out? Believing in the midst of this tension for Moses was the step of faith for him, right? As he heard God describe himself, Moses had a choice. Am I going to believe what God says about himself? And that's the decision for every single one of us every single day. Are, you, are we going to believe what God says about himself? That's the essence of faith defined in Christian terms. For a Christian, to have faith is to believe what God says about himself. There's more to it than that, but that little simple sentence actually does define what faith is. It's not your capacity to really try hard to believe. No, it's just to say, yes, I agree with what God says about Himself. That is an expression of faith. And to the extent that we don't, that's the extent to which we don't have faith. I don't really believe that God is who He says He is. So what are some words that God's spoken to you, right, that you just need to believe? How has God shown Himself to you? Through His deeds, through His words. And are you agreeing and saying, yes, Lord, that is who you are? Or is there a struggle to believe, to trust, to have faith? Third, Jesus reveals Himself to us in the same way today. Jesus reveals Himself to us in the same way today. I want to read to you from 1 John chapter 1, verses 14 and 17 and 18. Because these are a couple of passages in the New Testament where exactly the same terminology that's describing God is applied to Jesus, right? In verse 14 of John chapter 1, it says, So the Word that is speaking about Jesus became human and made His home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. The exact same characteristic that God describes as He passes by. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. So there's even a kind of glory that's been revealed in Jesus that wasn't previously seeable by any person. Verse 17, the law was given through Moses, that's Exodus, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ, okay? God's revealing Himself as loving and faithful in the Old Testament but we see that that truly came into the world through Jesus. No one has ever seen God, that includes Moses, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. Right? In the New Testament, we get to meet God incarnate. And Jesus walks this earth, passing by humanity, going, I'm the Lord gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love, faithfulness, ready to bless a thousand generations. And he lives that out in his life. And then at the cross, Jesus resolves the tension between God's love and God's holiness. And we see, oh, here's what God's doing. God's taking the sin and iniquity that he ought to destroy people on account of, and he's laying it on his son, Jesus, to pay the price so that God can pardon the guilty. 
and love the sinner. He was doing it in the Old Testament, but there was a tension there. How is that possible? It was unexplained. But it comes together at the cross in Jesus' sacrifice for our sins. We call the event of the, the cross, we call it the atonement. That is the place where sin is atoned for. It's paid for. So that we can enter into a relationship with God that's extremely personal. And we can experience His love, His compassion, His faithfulness, all those great characteristics that Moses experienced, right, with God's hand blocking him. Jesus is the hand that protects us from the wrath of God at the cross so that now we can walk with the Lord without having a hand blocking it. <laughs> it's an amazing thing and it's an amazing gift. It's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And it's great to remember that this Jesus is the same Jesus because He's one with the Father. He's the same Jesus, same God who passed by Moses, the same one who said, you can't look at me in the face and live. And it was true about the disciples, right? They did not experience the glorified Christ. They only got a tiny glimpse of His power and His glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. For a moment, they see Jesus in dazzling white, but just for a moment, then it's right away clouded, and you get this feeling like, oh, wow, when Jesus comes in power, it's a whole nother ballgame, right? It's both scary and exciting. That's why we say, even so, come, because what's it going to be like when Jesus comes back? I don't know. It's going to be scary, exciting, Is that, you know, exciting, scary, whatever the combination of that is. Because then we'll see Him in glorious power. But we have this spectacular opportunity to walk with Jesus today, right? Individually and as a church. So we want to be in familiar personal relationship with Jesus, but we don't want to forget, you know, who He really is. Also the Son of God, full of grace and power. Lastly, how are we going to respond to God's revelation? Right? Moses responds with worship and prayer, right? He falls on his knees, worships God, and continues to ask, Lord, if this is really who you are, please, again, go with us. Please, have your presence with us. And in fact, that is what God does. God answers Moses' prayer, and they continue on. What's God saying to you? How's He speaking? To me, it's not a question of whether or not God's speaking. He is. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit within you, and that Spirit is speaking. God continues to speak to His people every single day. Listening to that, right, growing an ear that hears, well, that takes a little bit of work on our part, but what's God saying? What's He been saying to you about that situation at work, right? Maybe it's with a, a difficult coworker, or you've got a tough decision about uh, the future, or just the environment at work is driving you crazy, or whatever. What's God saying about that to you? What's the step he wants you to take? Maybe it's a school question, right? School's tough. Getting the good grades is tough. Maybe this is the wrong school. What am I supposed to major in? What's my future supposed to be? Take some time. What is God saying in the midst of that? How is he revealing himself? Might be a situation at home. Again, a struggle with a, a family member or a relationship that's consuming you with worry. God is not speaking to you and saying, you should worry more. That is not the voice of God ever. <laughs> Right? He will speak through and get around that worry to say something encouraging and strengthening to build you up and give you a capacity to trust Him. What's God saying in your situation? 
And we want to discern what's God saying to us as a church, right? Because as Christians, we don't walk alone. We walk in fellowship with other believers. What's He saying to us? Uh, in this community in Sunnyside as we're reestablishing a new presence uh, in this community that desperately needs to hear the good news about Jesus. We look forward to how God's going to continue to guide us in the days to come. He will continue to speak to you, both personally and, of course, above all, through His Word, right? He uses His Word. That's why we encourage each other to open up the Bible each day, take that little shape journal, card, a little bright red one for the quarter, and read a couple chapters each day. It's just a time to open up the Word and allow God to speak into our situation. And it's astonishing how He will apply His Word to your specific situation.